Hayes, Alexander, Shabbat for three, bang, oh! will get it for the win. What's going on guys? Welcome back to another post-game recap here in the 2022 NBA playoffs, the second round. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dripper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. So for tonight's episode, just the solo guy, your boy. I went to the LAFC game last night, so I'll also be talking about the two games from last night that were both blowouts very briefly at the end. My LAFC vlog is only nine minutes. It will be coming out tomorrow at around 12 o'clock Pacific time, 3 Eastern. So make sure to check it out, nine minutes, especially if you're from LA and curious as to what an LAFC game looks like at that new stadium. Check it out. And then, of course, you already know the deal. Turn on the notification bell for all my videos to know when I'm going live and make sure to comment. But let's get into it tonight. Oh my God. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Celtics and Bucks, we're going to start out with that. Obviously, a must win game for the Celtics. Anytime you're up, anytime the series is tied at two and you have a game five as the home team, that's a must win situation. And I thought the Celtics came out the right way. They haven't been great in any first quarters, really, this entire playoffs. But it wasn't bad tonight by any means. I thought they set the tone defensively as they always do. It's just this whole series has just been grown man basketball. Very physical. Two really good defenses that play two different styles entirely. Celtics are very switch everything. Bucks like to play drop coverage with Giannis and Brooke Lopez and worry about or let their length with Matthews and Holiday get over and fight over those screens. And you know they've been starting Grayson Allen in this series, and he didn't have a great game tonight, but. He's been pretty decent overall. I don't think he was terrible tonight, but he's been pretty decent in the series. However, so the Celtics, you know, down by two after the first quarter. I thought that Giannis, even though he scored here and there, I thought the Celtics did a really good job. Mainly Grant Williams when he was the when he was the defender on him. But if any time Jalen Brown or Tatum were on Giannis, even Horford, who got beat off the dribble a good amount tonight compared to most games, he's just not laterally quick enough at this stage to stay with Giannis, really, especially when they're not letting him kind of like hand check and push push back, you know, impede progress, so to speak, but they did a good job, the Celtics, of helping, being ready to help at all times. Now, the second quarter is where the Celtics really started to gain the lead that they would end up having for the majority of the game, and they went up by double digits, and they did it on defense. It started with defense leading to offense. Not only did they draw a lot of offensive fouls on Giannis, they stole the ball. It was just good help defense, really active hands. I thought Daniel Tice, you know, he came in. He had a, even a nice defensive possession on Grayson Allen. And I thought that Jason Tatum, who basically played the entire first half, it felt like. I don't even know if he's sad. He played 42 minutes in the game. But he was running pick and rolls and making some really good passes. Daniel Tice, Derek White got a couple of buckets, a couple of... You know, I remember there was one play where Tatum got basically, uh, Connaughton came up to hedge in the small the small pick and roll. You know, they they uh, have Derek White set in the screen. Derek White rolled, got the ball, four on three, lobbed to Tice. Great play. Crowd was into it. I thought Tice and Derek White were really good off the bench. But it was all started from Tatum being aggressive and also just getting in the paint, driving and kicking. And the Celtics, for the most part, were hitting their threes, um, at least in the first half. 
but they didn't shoot actually too, too many of them. Only 31 attempts tonight. Made 10 of them, shot 32%, so not great. But Jason Tatum was doing a much better job being aggressive. And as I said, turning defense into offense. That was a big theme for the first half. 28-19 to 19 in favor of Boston in the second quarter. They led 54-47, to 47, if I'm not mistaken, at the half. Yeah, 54-47. And in the, in the second half, you noticed the... By the way, I also want to say in the first half, the drop coverage by the Bucks was really weak at times. Jason Tatum was coming off screens, and Giannis and Brooke Lopez were like at the foul line. He was walking into threes, and he missed a couple of them, but he also made a couple of them. Or at least, at least I remember one he swished coming off a screen. So we go to the second half now, right? And the Bucks tightened up the screws. They were much. They weren't just letting Tatum and certain guys just walk into threes off screens. I think Smart even got one in the first half too. They were Brooke Lopez and, and Giannis were further up much more, especially Giannis. And the Bucks got stops, which means you know what? What's been the theme of this series, Dime Dropper fam? When the Bucks can get stops, they can get in transition. That's when Giannis gets going, and that's when he was really scoring. But I am not gonna lie, guys. Despite the fact that Giannis had a good quarter. And a very efficient stat line and a good game overall, even though he he had seven turnovers tonight. And every I, I really expected more out of Giannis's I thought he was better than this skill wise this year. I thought he had really made major improvements skill wise, but it doesn't seem like it. I'd heard all season long about his mid range and his I looked at the percentages and they were good. He shot forty percent plus from a lot of areas, eighteen feet, you know, between like ten to eighteen feet and all that. And they are just, they, nobody respects his mid-range at all. Nobody. They're letting him shoot it all day long. It doesn't look good. You know, his his actual skill in the post doesn't look good outside of bully ball. It doesn't know, his turnarounds don't look solid. Jump hook doesn't look great. It's just, his jump hook may be the only move that it actually looks decent in terms of skill in the post. Not just, you know, he has some nice footwork here and there, nice up and unders. I'll give him that. But in terms of the shot making with the skill, jump hooks, turnarounds, all that stuff, finesse, Every single play in the half court that he tries to score is head down, shoulder lowered. Every time. And, you know, I think it's it, it's definitely hard to guard from a physical standpoint. I could see Tatum tonight ducking away from that contact. He was just reaching in when he was switched on to Giannis. He didn't want part of that smoke. Maybe also because he doesn't want to get fouled as well or doesn't want to get fouls. And Tatum tonight, you know, he got a couple of t- a couple of calls that did not go his way. A couple of times where he we was shooting a jump shot and they didn't let him land. I thought I also think he needs to stop falling so much. He's looking for the calls and he's he's berating the refs. And a couple of times today, the Celtics in the second half got scored on because they were too busy talking to the officials or too busy just focusing on that aspect of the game. And they got to really Stacey Tatum especially. I I I do agree that the refs need to show Tatum more respect, and they needed to for a couple of years. But Tatum. He needs to not fall into this whiny category. Because the thing about Giannis is, yeah, Giannis gets away with a lot. He barrels through people. But it's hard to officiate guys like that. There are definitely times where Giannis gets fouled and doesn't get called. And the one thing I've noticed about him is he doesn't really complain much at all. He may say one thing, but he gets back. And that's one thing that's really good about him. But, yeah, overall, Giannis, I'm, I'm still not sold on his offensive scoring bag like I know he won the championship and he did it that one time one time but let's be honest if we want to go back and look at my recaps for those games because they're there that's what I love I can always go back to my recaps and the receipts not only was he hitting those skillful points those jump hooks those turnarounds a little bit more Aiton was not able to defend him very fairly 
You know, he, he couldn't do anything in terms of putting hands on him. So then he was getting into foul trouble, and then the Suns had nowhere to go besides that. This year with JaVale McGee, that won't be the case. Now, I think Giannis is still the best player in the NBA. I'm standing by that. I think he is. But I don't think that if we were playing, like, I was talking to my friend about this today. If we were playing 2000s basketball, I think Jokic would be better than him in that style. And I think you can still argue Jokic is better now, but I just think that Jokic can be attacked in space in this era in a way that Giannis can't. And in the 2000s, you don't have the, the same space. So that wouldn't really happen to Jokic unless you're playing like the seven seconds or less Suns, in which case Jokic would dominate them offensively. So in the 2000s, you know, Jokic's skill would combat things better than Giannis. They would just build walls on Giannis and they wouldn't have the spacing that he has now. He would have to have a, some sort of a mid-range or a skill in the post at a different level. T-Mac was right with what he said, but everybody's so caught up in their feelings and doesn't know how to contextualize different eras and was like, yeah, T-Mac's hating. He's never even been out of the first round. He's talking about the schemes of the 2000s. The fact that you can pack the paint, you don't have the same shooting. If Giannis is the traditional four, he's he's not always playing with a stretch five. Brooke Lopez was never, wasn't even like that when he was on the Nets, when he was the all-time leading scorer for the Nets. He became like that with the Bucks to spread the floor for Giannis. He became He started shooting threes a little bit with the Lakers, but that was because everyone started shooting threes. He only did it to assimilate to the league, to, to change with the league, to evolve, as so to speak, with the league. You know what I'm saying? That's not how the game was played, and not every single wing was a shooter. Sometimes they'd be 18 feet away, which is different sort of spacing in itself as well. So I'm not saying Giannis wouldn't be great. I'm not going to go as far as to say what Oakley said. He would be a bench player. That was just extreme hating in my eyes by, by Oakley. But... Do I think he would be able to be the best run of championship team with this exact style he plays? No, I don't. Especially in that era, everybody was stronger. Everybody wants to talk about bigger, faster, stronger. That only applies to guards, really. And not really, I wouldn't say faster. I'd say they're bigger and stronger, the guards in today's game. But in terms of the overall picture, fuck no. These small ball lineups are cupcakes back in the 2000s. They were playing, you're playing with big ass grown dudes. People that were fucking overweight at times. So Giannis can't just barrel through like that in the 2000s. So, by the way, but that doesn't matter because he didn't play in the 2000s. So it doesn't fucking matter. I'm just saying in the sake of that time, that, that kind of argument, I think Jokic would be better in the 2000s because he also would not get exploited like that in space the same way. So his, his limitations, or should I say his, his negatives, wouldn't really be negatives in the 2000s. So... That's how I feel about that. As for what, what's happening in this, uh, in this era, Giannis is the best player to me, even though all that shit I said about him just now. And that's not to take away from the way he ended up playing in the end. The fourth quarter was a doozy, but by the way, before I get into the fourth quarter, I can't forget that Jalen Brown was just awesome in the third. He was starting to get going, hitting his jumper. I thought that the Celtics, the Jays especially, were much better in not neglecting the mid-range game today. And Jalen Brown did a pretty decent job of, of getting a little bit more mid-range shots. Yeah, I'm looking at his shot chart right now. He made two mid-ranges. Um, shot about five, if you count right inside the free throw line, is mid-range. But he got a nice... He, his shot diet wasn't bad today. Just a lot of threes, if you ask me. A little too many for my liking. Uh, actually, not really. It looked like more on the shot chart. But he only shot seven threes and he made three of them. So that's actually acceptable. Anyway, fourth quarter, though, the Milwaukee Bucks. It started with Pat Connaughton. He made two threes, but the Bucks went small, their own variation of a small lineup, and it was Pat Connaughton, Drew Holiday, Wesley Matthews, Giannis, and Bobby Portis. And the favorable matchup was really Connaughton and Bobby Portis, and they tried to go at them a lot. And when Connaughton was on guys like Jason and Jalen, the Bucks were doing a good job helping, getting out to shooters, 
You know, they have good length with that lineup with Wes, uh, Drew, Giannis. And Portis is decent moving his feet, and they were forcing the Celtics to start to play a lot of iso ball because that's what happens. A lot of people say, oh, you know, every a lot of people, because they don't see it, they don't really know the schemes of the game, they try to say, oh, it's just it was just all iso ball down the stretch. You heard that with the Clippers. You used to hear that with the Oklahoma City Thunder with Westbrook and KD. You heard that with the Nets against the Celtics. Well, now the Bucks are playing the Celtics at their own, at their own game. Switching everything forces iso ball because you're not getting the advantages coming off screens that you normally would. Does that mean you need to just play iso ball at your best player? No, you can still move the ball. But when you switch everything, that tries to blow up that kind of stuff. So you're forced to go to your best player and try to mismatch hunt. And that's when what can cause stagnant offense sometimes at the end of games for a lot of teams. But the funny part is you don't say that about the Bucks when it comes to Giannis and Drew Holiday because if you really watch the series closely, they're going ISO almost every time down the court. But because they're so good at it and they put so much pressure on your defense and play so physical, people don't seem to, under, don't seem to see it. And plus because they push the ball whenever they can. And Drew Holiday, the crazy part was about him, he wasn't even having a good shooting night at all. He was taking a lot of bad shots like he was in game four, quick shots. And, but the funny part is, he just got better as the game went on, didn't he? And that's the sign of really great players. And, and time to put some respect on Drew Holiday's name in a different level. Uh, I hope next year he makes the All-Star team because it's just not a, it's not a, Fair, fair for him to not make the all-star team. I know he had some injuries this year, and his play translates much better to the playoffs because he's an isolation shot creator, and he plays bully ball, and he's an amazing defender that when the when the refs swallow the whistle a little bit more, he can be even more effective. And Drew Holiday, like if you don't think he's an all-star, the like caliber player, like he doesn't have an all-star impact, you don't you wouldn't see an all-star if it smacked you right in the face. Because that kind of play, that two-way play, like we need to have st- serious conversations about guys like Kyrie and Drew because I'm not saying that you know all time I think Kyrie is more unique than Drew he's one of a kind but right now with all the baggage that Kyrie Irving comes with would you really rather have Kyrie Irving as your second best or second or third best player on your team or Drew Holiday because if Kyrie Irving's bricking shots how else is he impacting the game Drew Holiday's inefficient every other night damn near but this motherfucker plays amazing defense amazing and he's just I love how he continues to be aggressive. But so with the switch everything, I thought that the one thing that the Celtics really did wrong, they went away from Jalen Brown too much. He was having a really good game and they just went away from him. And I think Tatum actually played pretty decently down the stretch, even though he ball pounded a little too much. But he made he actually got to so I even made a reference to Kobe. I was like, that's Kobe. I always say that, you know, Tatum loves Kobe, but sometimes he picks up some of the negatives of him. Which is, well, honestly, not really. The negatives of Kobe was like, yeah, shooting some bad shots. But Tatum's bad shots are like like just a bunch of contested threes. Like Kobe would shoot double-teamed 18-footers, things like that. But like Tatum has the space that Kobe just didn't have. So if Kobe was playing in this spacing, he wouldn't settle. He wouldn't shoot nearly as many bad shots. Like he would shoot contested mid-ranges. But like other than that, he would be able to get the step and blow by guys for fun now. Like it would be a lot easier for him. He knows that or he knew that. But Jace, that's what, and Tatum also has size that Kobe didn't have. But what I liked about him in the good Kobe sense today was he actually got caught the ball at the mid-range area where you don't need to take that many dribbles. That's the whole fucking point. That's why Michael Jordan and Kobe understood that. And a lot of players in the past understood that. The only difference is the game is further out today. So it's a little bit different and weirder when you start your move there. You just got to fight for it. You just got to go to your spot. And it's much easier from the wing. The one thing I noticed about Tatum is he liked, he liked to do it from the free throw line which is a little tough because it's a little more congested around the middle. But he was making his shots. He hit two jumpers. 
And Al Horford, when Al Horford hit the putback dunk, he made it 105-99. Guys, I thought that was the game right there. I really thought that was the game. Two minutes left, 105-99, and then the following happened. On the Giannis point about the mid-range, what's even more ridiculous to me is not, I shouldn't say ridiculous, but what, what he needs to really take out of his game is the threes. You know, there's this misconception in today's NBA that everyone needs to shoot threes, and yet you need to shoot threes to take that next step in your game, and you need to do it to be a complete three-level scorer. You need to put yourself in the defense's position for five seconds. I don't understand. I don't care how good Giannis gets. I don't ever see him being a 40, 40%, 38% three-point shooter. A 6'11", 280-pound monster gazelle that can drive and lower his shoulder and move you 10 feet back. You... What do you think as the defense if he's shooting threes? Oh, man, I get to rest this possession. Oh, what a bail. Thank God he shot a three. That's that's what it is for every team. And the real players, I guarantee you, will tell you the same thing. And coaches. You breathe a sigh of relief when he takes that. I had somebody in my Twitter comments today talk to me about, well, he's tired. You know, he can't just drive in every time. Move the fucking ball. You don't need to shoot a bad shot. So when you can't get your shot, your excuse is to shoot a bad shot in the middle of the game, second quarter. Not like the shot clock was winding down. You had no choice but to shoot a three. I just think he, needs, he can take that out of his game. I don't care that he made that big one I'm about to talk about. I don't give a shit that he made that. I just don't think it's necessary for him. Not everybody needs to shoot threes. Not when you can get everything at the rim. And then I say, I'll say like, oh, Michael Jordan didn't shoot that many threes or Shaq didn't shoot that many. Shaq didn't shoot threes at all. All these big men. And Giannis is the height of a big man. And they're like, it's a different era. No, no excuse. We've seen people dominate. I've talked about, you can go to a lot of lives, certain guys dominating with, without the three. And he's blessed with that size. It's a bailout. But I don't think, I think it was an, an offensive rebound or something. And Giannis got the open three and made it. After missing all the threes he shot all night, he made the biggest three he shot, which is just a sign of a legendary, like a, just a big time player. Cuts the deficit in half. Celtics go to an ISO with Tatum. I think it was Connaughton that he had on him. And honestly, he could have tried to post him up and, and take him at a better from a better spot. He got forced into a contestant mid-range. Uh, and he missed. Giannis got the rebound. Bobby Portis got a uh, a runner. Missed it. Missed the tip. Celtics got the ball back. And this is where it all went south. Now, I haven't talked much about Marcus Smart in this game. And I actually thought he was, he was playing a really good game. A really good game. Typical smart this season. But he just maybe had two minutes. Two minutes. Less, honestly. About a minute. That one minute may have changed his whole season. And potentially, I don't mean to sound dramatic, but his career in ways. Because if the Celtics don't win this series... I don't see them moving on from Smart, if we're being real. I don't. But the thing about Smart is, now I'm going to get into more specifics here in a second. So he comes down the court, he turns the ball over, just going a little too fast when, you know, don't need to. I or, I don't think it was necessarily, not necessarily too fast, but just he forced it. You know, he ran into a crowd and lost the ball. 
and then Drew Holiday on a really nice pass from Bobby Portis. Because Bobby Portis, I remember now, he got to the basket on the previous play and he airballed a layup because he didn't realize how close he was to the basket. He got a semi-open three in transition and he passed it up. Gave it to Drew, who made a three to tie the game. And like again, with Drew having a tough shooting night, and he hit the big shot. And then Ime drew up a curl to get Tatum going to the basket and it worked. Tatum got to the line and made both. So I actually thought Jason Tatum, you know, I don't, I don't think he was that bad in the fourth at all. Put the Celtics up two. And then Giannis got fouled by Grant Williams. Made the first. Missed the second. And then Bobby Portis got the offensive rebound and put it back in. You know, what do I always say, Dime Dropper fam? The famous quote from the godfather, Pat Riley. No rebounds, no rings. And offensive rebounds killing the playoffs. But offensive rebounds on free throws in the last minute of a game? Definitely killing the playoffs. And what happened was Jalen Brown was the one that was boxing out Bobby Portis. Marcus Smart came from half court, got a hand on the ball, but could not hold on to it. Jalen Brown, it went through his hands, and Bobby Portis caught it from behind and scored. I mean, just a nightmare situation. And then on the last play of the game, you're thinking, where's it going? Jalen hasn't touched the ball in a while. He's only only taking two shots in the fourth. Jason Tatum is the one that's kind of got the closest thing to a hot hand. It looks like Jalen Brown was supposed to set a screen for Marcus Smart. And he stopped Jalen Brown. Like, he didn't really set one at all. And I don't know if that was by design to set a fake screen. It looked like he was Smart was supposed to take the screen. That's what it looked like to me. I could be wrong. Somebody can correct me in the comments if you think differently. But Marcus Smart gets the ball in the corner. Now, usually, you don't see, unless the guy is wide open, a play to draw, a, a drawn-up play to win a game off a timeout for them to catch the ball in the corner where you can get trapped. But they got the ball to Marcus Smart in the corner, and he saw an opening for a second, a lane to the basket. And, you know, the urge that he fought off in game one of the net series to shoot that three, he didn't fight that urge this time. He was said, we're down by one. He went to the basket. He actually created separation on Connaughton. He saw Connaughton, too. He was like, oh, it's Pat Connaughton. I'm going to go to the rim. There's no one there. And out of nowhere from his blind side, that man again, Drew Holiday, from behind. Unbelievable play. He then throws it off of Marcus Smart. They foul Pat Connaughton. He makes both free throws. And then with no timeouts left in five seconds, Horford gives the ball back to Smart. And Drew Holiday strips Marcus Smart at half court as the Milwaukee Bucks steal and stun the Boston crowd. 110-107 to take a 3-2 lead with Chris Middleton out and one game to win in Milwaukee. Very similar to how they won the championship last year. I'm not going to lie, Celtics fans. This is as, I got a couple of texts tonight from friends, Celtics friends. This is as brutal a loss for the Celtic franchise. Maybe since 2012 against that game six that LeBron had. Seriously, I think, because that that was the last real chance the Celtics had of winning the championship. 2020, they weren't beating the Lakers. And 2018, they were getting swept by the Warriors. This that was that was pretty brutal tonight. I think it was worse than 2012 because when LeBron plays a game like that, there was just not much you could do. He was just on a mission that night. Whereas tonight, you had the game in your in the in the palm of your hand. 
I can't believe that happened. It's crazy because the Celtics played so well all season. Like, they're still one of the best teams in the league. They still... I honestly think they do have tendencies of a championship team. But it just reiterates how hard it is to win championships. Why these big moments, the plays under pressure, matter. And and as great as Marcus Smart is, and this is what I was going back to saying about Smart, it's really live by Smart, die by Smart. Because Smart's one of those players that he's so impactful, you can't just sit him on the bench. You need to have him out there because he brings, he will win you a game. Just like the way he will lose you a game, he will win you a game. He'll make the big defensive play. He'll take the crucial charge. He'll make the big threes when it counts at times. But the thing about the championship, the playoffs, your room for error is so small. And that's why I think role players and and champions that have huge roles like Smart has in the Celtics team that do win championships and multiple championships, when people say, oh, you know, rings, just because they win a ring doesn't mean they're better, or people value rings too much, winning culture, all this, it's, it's, it's because I understand how hard it is to win championships because my team hasn't won. I know how hard it is. Celtics fans have won one chip since Bird, and they've had a lot of great players since then, even though they had a rough patch in the 90s. It's so hard to win championships. You need special players that understand their roles, that make big plays in big moments, that understand time and place. And I'm not fully saying that Smart doesn't understand this, but he still kind of showed those old tendencies tonight of the old Smart, of kind of biting off more than he can chew. There's no reason why the game needed to come down to Marcus Smart on offense so much towards the end, like those last couple possessions, you know, turn the ball over and then getting blocked and then losing the ball again. Like, there's no way Tatum shouldn't get a field goal off in the last minute, you know, or Jalen Brown should. And by the way, how long have we been talking about Jalen Brown when he's having good games not getting the ball at the end? This has been a thing for a couple years now, three years. The Celtics, you know, they this has nothing to do with, like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown down the stretch, like, going forward down the next couple of years. They're going to be a championship contender for years to come. they got to keep Emei, whatever. And I'm not writing them off totally just yet, but it's really hard for me to see them going into Milwaukee and Giannis and Drew Holiday losing in the hostile environment. They know what's at stake. They know that this is probably the real Eastern Conference Finals. Is Giannis going to lose? Because last time he was in this position, he dropped 50. So, and, and let me tell you this right now. If the Celtics find a way to win that game, I mean, I've seen crazier things. My Clippers went into San Antonio against the defending champs, a mentally weak Clipper team, which was our, you know, we really ended up being, did not change the narrative in the end. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Austin Rivers, JJ, Baby Dick, went into San Antonio and beat the champs, the defending champs. So I've seen crazier things. And then came back in one game seven against Tim Duncan and them. So the Celtics still have a chance. And they would show so much heart if they can pull this off. But they need to win two games in a row. And so far they've not been able to do that. Two games in a row against Giannis, one being on the road. It's going to be very hard. It's just crazy that all the hard work the Celtics did. And even without Middleton, you got to give so much credit to the Bucks, Drew Holiday and Giannis especially for being able to pull this off. It's been almost all of them ISOing all series long against the switch everything defense, and they still haven't got people to really point out. I mean, actually, no, Charles Barkley and some people have pointed out that it's just Giannis and Drew ISO, but that's what they forced you to do. And credit to them. And you know what, but you know what the problem is when you switch everything? And this is the problem that my Clippers have when we go to our small lineup too. Cross-matched on the offensive glass. And that's where the Milwaukee Bucks really won the game. And Ime Yudoka said that in his pro- post-game presser 
49 rebounds for the Bucks, 36 for the Celtics, 5 offensive rebounds for Boston, 17 for Milwaukee, 7 of those from Bobby Portis alone. So that right there, how many times, 33 to 21 in favor of Milwaukee in the fourth, that right there tells you everything you need to know. And I've been saying it all all series long, I mean all playoffs long, rebounds in the playoffs, totally different than regular season, especially in this era. In this era, regular season, a lot of times, it's a lot of, it's so many threes, people aren't really playing defense a lot of the times, you know, just long misses, it's just playing catch. But in the off, in the, in the playoffs, it's a little bit more strategic. You got very specific lineups, some small, some big. It's a grown man's game. Every possession counts. Every possession counts. And when you get killed on the offensive glass this way, mm-mm. It's very hard to win. And the Celtics may have just blown their season in one minute. And it's large reason because of Marcus Smart. Live by Smart, die by Smart. How many times have we seen, you know, Smart not knowing to quit shooting threes in various playoffs, making those little bonehead plays? It's tough, man. It's tough with Smart. He's one of those guys that gives you so much good, but does the good does the bad outweigh the good? It doesn't. But the thing is, in the playoffs, can he have such a big role? I used to think this about Patrick Beverly at times, um, the same similar way. And, and Smart's a much better player than Be- Bev. But I used to think that way about Bev at times, that I love how much great he does. It outweighs the bad. But you need very specific role players that don't do dumb shit to win chips. Like, I'm serious. All like you know, they They can do dumb shit occasionally, but when it's time to win... They got to know when to not do dumb shit or they got to be not good enough to the point where your coach can take them out. No problems. Smart's not in one of those in in that category. He's too good. He doesn't play badly enough to get out of the final five minutes because he'll still make a huge defensive play. Anyway, let's talk about the the lines. Eight man rotation for the Bucks. 13 minutes for George Hill. He didn't even have a shot taken. So no, nothing to say there. Pat Connaughton, another fantastic game. He has been so good. Pat Connaughton, actually, his high school is right next to my boy Will's house in Danvers, Mass. Uh, he's a local kid from Massachusetts, and he has given his home state team the business. 13 points on 4 of 7, shooting 3 of 5 from deep. Bobby Portis, he made huge plays down the stretch. 14 points and 15 rebounds. As I said, 7 of those offensive rebounds. Made all his free throws, 6 of them. 4 for 14, didn't shoot well, but huge impact on the game in the end. And then the Starting five, Grayson Allen, eight points, three for seven. Wes Matthews, nine points, three for nine, but made two threes, I believe, in the second half. I think it was in the fourth, actually. Brooke Lopez only played 20 minutes, wasn't his game. Drew Holiday, nine for 24, but four for seven from three. 24 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, a steal, and two blocks. Just won the game for them in the end. No, no other way to say it. And then Giannis onto the charge, Kumpo, 40 points, 11 rebounds, 7 turnovers, six for 20, 16 for 27 shooting, 2 for 5 from deep. Wow, okay, so he made another one. Okay, so he made one earlier, actually. I'm tripping. 6 for 10 from the line. But Giannis, just, he, he got the job done. There's no other way to say it. For the Celtics, they shot 51% from the field. Daniel Tice was 5 for 5, 11 points in only 11 minutes. Maybe they should have gone to him a little bit more in the second half. Peyton Pritchard, 4 points, 2 for 3. Only 10 minutes played, though. Derek White, I thought he played really well. Really well, made all the right plays. 9 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks on 4 for 5 shooting. Starting lineup, Grant Williams, 0 for 3. Didn't get that many shots off, but he played some good D. 0 points for him, though. 31 minutes played. 38 minutes are smart. 
15 points, four rebounds, a steal. I'm sorry, an assist, two steals, a block, six for 11 shooting, three for five from deep, three turnovers, just such a tough ending for him. Horford, four for seven from the field, played 41 minutes, eight points, eight rebounds, six assists, three steals. Jalen Brown, 26 points, eight rebounds, six assists, nine for 19 shooting, three for five from deep. And then Tatum, he was very aggressive. 34 points, six boards, four assists, 12 for 29 shooting, but he did still settle for too many threes for me. 11 threes. He was two for 11. I just thought that's too much. He needs to, that's one of the big reasons they still continue to sometimes not max, he doesn't maximize how good he can be. He just falls in love with that three. But that's it for that game. The other game, oh Lord. Oh Lord. There is not much to say except for the Warriors did the classic we're just going to win in game six attitude. They didn't come out and compete. They got blitzed at the end of the first quarter. And credit to the Grizzlies, they literally made every shot tonight, it felt like. They were just on fire. And I, I said it last episode with Oh the Great. The Grizzlies, two things they do better without Jaw. I'm not ready to say that they're better without Jaw. If they win this series, though, I will say it. They, they actually are better. But the thing about them is they move the ball better because the ball doesn't stick with anyone. And that's what I always say. Pros. Pros can hit shots if they move the ball enough and just move without it a bit and compete on the defensive end. You always have a chance to beat any team. Move the freaking rock. That's what I was saying all season about the Lakers at times. And people are like, oh, they don't have anyone to create shots. Yes, they do. They have enough players. If you move the ball and you move it fast, you'll create shots in today's game. And the Grizzlies were great. And the other thing about the Warriors, though, is they switch everything all the time. And, you know, Kaminga was starting again tonight, and that's something they're going to have to scrap because it's not working out very well. But the Warriors switch everything all the time. And the, tonight the Warriors were getting into the paint with no resistance at all. It was just like a straight-line drive. They were just it was, they were getting whatever they wanted. And finally, Desmond Bain had himself a game. They were just lights out. 18 for 41 from deep for Memphis. Desmond Bain... 6 for 12 shooting, 21 points, 4 for 6 from deep. He was having himself a night. And the plus-minus numbers are just staggering for the Grizzlies starters. It's a joke. Um, and what's crazy is I actually turned on the game, and Klay Thompson actually had a good shooting night. Like He was the only one actually getting buckets. 7 for 12 shooting, 3 for 6 from 3. But I'm afraid it was kind of wasted on, a, on not the best night. The Grizzlies scored 9 points in the last minute of the first quarter to go up by 10 and never looked back after. The Anthony Melton hit two threes or two jump shots. The Grizzlies, the Warriors just, again, with the turnovers, 22 turnovers. They got killed on the offensive glass. This was much more of a Brandon Clark kind of game that we saw against Minnesota. 11.7 rebounds in just 14 minutes for him. Kyle Anderson had 9 points in 19 minutes, and they were just destroyed. Jared Jackson Jr. had 21 on 6 of 10 shooting, 4 for 6 from deep. They went on a 17 to nothing run in the second quarter, and Mike Brown didn't call timeout. I even saw Mike Brown looking at his coach. One of his assistant coaches like, you want to call it now? Like, he just wasn't sure. I mean, I'm not going to blame too much on a coach because I always say that the schemes and everything are, are preset. Players got to execute. But Mike Brown wasn't doing himself any favors. You know, they need Steve Kerr back. But they, they, may not, they may not get Steve Kerr back. They may need to win game six with Mike Brown as coach. And they shouldn't need to be babied at this point or coached like that. They're, they're proven champs. They played together. You got to win one game. They got embarrassed tonight. They didn't come out. They didn't try. They, that was not effort to me. 22 turnovers. And Steph Curry, you know, by the way, the Grizzlies switching everything, and Brandon Clark was doing a great job moving his feet. 
You know, Dylan Brooks today as well, 12 points, 5 for 13, shot a little bit better. Tyus Jones was amazing. And this is another thing about the Grizzlies. When they don't have jaw, they don't, nobody is uh, there to be hunted on defense. Teams go at jaw. They put him in the pick and roll, and he sometimes just doesn't really try very hard on that end. Tyus Jones, he plays really hard on defense. They have less liabilities on D when jaw's not there. So that's something that is clear and apparent to me. Tell me what you think in the comments, along with the ball movement. Again, not saying they're a better team without him, but they're showing signs they potentially may be. And, and honestly, this is showing me that Ja doesn't really make his teammates better. There's a difference between make, getting guys open shots and making them better. If And I know that the Grizzlies are playing with nothing to lose, but 20-5 to five in the regular season, that's not normal for a team with only one star. You know what I'm saying? And there's a difference, as I said, between getting guys open shots and making them better. Sometimes making guys better means you got to take a personal sacrifice, statistically or handling the ball. And one thing John needs to really look at this summer is to try to incorporate more of an off-ball component to his game. Same with Trey Young. Because that really opened it up for everybody else to do their thing while you don't get affected so negatively. Because it seems like when uh, he tries to defer a little bit, it's just he's he's standing outside the three-point line, like, just chilling. Like, you know, I've seen him make some occasional nice cuts, but it's not frequent. He's not usually off the ball anyway when he plays, when he's on the floor. So that's something that needs to happen to me. That's That's not a harsh criticism. I think a lot of players... I think making others better is more than just getting them open shots. I think you're making spot-up shooters better, but they're clearly showing they're more than just a team of spot-up shooters because they wouldn't be able to score that many points without him if they were just a team of spot-up shooters. They need creators. They have creators, better creators than we think they have. And the Warriors, Steph Curry was never in any rhythm tonight. I thought he was poor, 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 poor. Four for 10 from the field, three for eight from three. And, you know, the turnovers, the, the guy that needs to be talked about more than anyone, Draymond Green. He talks the most. He talks the whole most. You know, he was even dancing today, that whoop that trick. That's what Steph Curry said before the game, that they were going to whoop him. They got their asses whooped. And Draymond Green was, you know, they were singing it. That was funny. And Draymond Green was dancing. Okay, it'll be okay if they win game six. That's all that matters. But this guy, man, nobody respects his offensive ability in terms of scoring. They all they don't even guard him. And the thing is, he'll get in the lane. He he'll get in the lane. He won't even look at the basket. It's back to that. We're back to square one with that Draymond allergic to shooting thing. Four shots tonight and made two. Two of them were threes. There were a couple clips of him in the lane, wide open floaters on a four-on-three read. And, you know, he's making a pass to a guy that's not wide open, really. Semi-open. Like he's forcing it. And the defense knows he wants to pass. It's a tough thing to play five on four sometimes the way that they do. And because of their offensive brilliance, they get away with it sometimes. But tonight, when it, a night like when Jordan Poole's not going, one for six, and he's really struggling right now, Jordan Poole. You know, th- these last two games for the Warriors, very lackadaisical, not stuff of champions in my eyes. You, a team that's been through the ringer, that's blown a 3-1 lead in the finals like this, should be have much better championship habits than what I saw tonight. You know, I've seen two 3-1 leads blown from my team alone. There's been 13 in the history of the game. I saw the two in my team. I saw the Warriors blow a 3-1 lead. I saw them come back from a 3-1 lead. I saw the Phoenix Suns come back against the Lakers. And one thing that a lot of them did is in game five, they took it unserious. They, they had this mentality like, oh, it's game six at home is the one you're supposed to win anyway. But there's a difference between losing game five and really giving a team confidence. They didn't just give the Grizzlies confidence tonight. They gave them belief that they can come back and win the series. You don't just beat a team that badly like that. 
They smacked the shit out of them. Game six is going to be close in my eyes. If it's not, you can come back and tell me, you know, I was wrong. But I think it's not going to be easy. They gave them too much life now. They have real belief. And I guarantee you the Warriors are going to get in their heads a little bit. They turned the ball over too much. I'm having serious doubts about them winning the championship. I'm more confident about the Bucs than ever before now. Because if Middleton comes back now, uh, we're everybody else is in real trouble. But the Warriors, 22 turnovers, 5 from Draymond. He had as many turnovers as points. Kaminga, like the stats don't even matter. You know, Curry had 14, Poole had 10. He turned them all over four. I'm sorry, Poole had three points. Turned them all over four times. I said all I needed to say about that. Like 44% shooting threes to the Grizz. The Warriors, like they just, they, that was pathetic. You gave them belief. You don't play like that. You do not play like that. Mm-mm. I love how every series is going six games, which may, brings me to the other series. So Miami and Philly, I didn't really watch this game like that, but I heard that, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers got clamped. The Heat switched everything, and finally they started hitting their threes again. They weren't hitting them in Philly. 13 for 33 from deep for, for Miami at 39%. P.J. Tucker made both his threes at 10 points. Every starter in double figures for Miami, which is great. Max Drews finally had a good shooting night in this series. It's taken him a second. 19 points and 10 rebounds for him. 7 for 13 shooting, 4 for 10 from 3. Another great night for Jimmy Butler, who's been electric in these playoffs. 23 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists on 9 for 15 shooting. And then Bam Adebayo at 12 points, 4 for 7. Gabe Vincent, they needed a big night from him. They could have used one, I should say. 15 points, 5 for 7 shooting. And then Tyler Hero off the bench, 10 points. And Victor Oladipo, 13 points. And they shot a combined 9 for 18 between the two of them, so 50% each. And then for the Sixers, you know, 15 turnovers, 9 for 32 from deep. Joel Embiid still not looking himself. Will he look himself in this series? That's going to be tough. It's really hurt them. It would, would have been a definitely a different series if he was healthy. Do I think they would have won? No, but I'm, I don't know that for a fact. James Harden went back. I, I told you guys Harden was going to revert back to normal. That was a one-off thing. 14 points for him, 6 boards, 4 assists, 4 turnovers, 5 for 13 shooting, and 2 for 6 from deep. Tobias, 5 for 14. You know, Tyrese Maxey, 2 for 10. So they got clamped up. Only shot 36.5% as a team. So big win for Miami. I said Heat and 6 before the series. I'm sticking with that. It's going to be a fun game tomorrow in Philly. I'll probably be watching the... If the Kings are on at the same time, though... I'm going to be watching the Kings tomorrow for sure. Big game. We can close out the series, by the way. You see me repping the hat. Go, Kings, go. Huge win at Edmonton last night. Again, I couldn't really watch because of the um, LAFC game I was at. So that sucks. I got to tune into this Kings playoffs, man. I've been, I've been whack. I have been whack. And then the Phoenix game. I actually did watch this one. And the Suns, you know, the first quarter was interesting that the, the Mavericks were winning. Even though Devin Booker was getting off. But Chris Paul, by the way. He looks a little bit shook so right now. Like he looked very he sacrificed a lot. He still got his 10 assists, but he was not really trying to press in like like the other games. 3 for 8 for him, but it was really the third quarter where the Suns just blew the doors off. 33 to 14 in that quarter. Again, it was another Mikhail Bridges game, a typical Bridges game. But what they did was they just dominated them on the offensive glass. Same thing as the other teams. 12 offensive rebounds for the Suns, 6 for the Mavs. And the Mavs were just turning the ball over left and right in the third quarter. Luka had four turnovers. Brunson had four turnovers. And Brunson actually played well. 21 points for him. He was scoring. 
9 for 17. Doncic had a good shooting night, 28 points, 11 boards, 10 for 23, but turned the ball over way too much. It just all happened at once. They started to turn the ball over like crazy. The Suns were getting out in transition, and DeAndre Ayton was dominant, dominating that small ball. Back to the old DA that we did not see in games 3 and 4. 20 points, 9 boards, Chris Paul, as I said, 7 and 10, but Booker, 28 points, 7 rebounds, 11 for 20. Devin Booker's been by far the best player in the series for the Suns, by far in this series, even though obviously Chris Paul did such a great job of winning that Pelican series without him, you know, winning game uh, three without him and game five. That was a t- total team effort, but Cam Johnson was also awesome, I thought, for the Suns. 14 points off the bench, five for eight shooting. And Bismack Biombo gave some great third quarter minutes too. Seven points for him. And even Land, like they were, they were just rolling on all cylinders, Phoenix. 12 for 32 from deep. That's 37.5%. Landry Shamit hit was hitting size up pull-ups. Like it was just, they were feeling themselves. And it was a big win. 110 to 80. 30 point win. Spencer Dinwiddie was just not in it. Like just looked like not like himself. Two points for him on 0 for 3 shooting. Nothing like game four. So I, I'm going to stick with my pick. I said Suns in seven, and I'm going to stick with it. Even though it could easily be Suns in six, I'm going to believe in Luka to get this home game and force a game seven. But that's it for me tonight, guys. I only got one thing to say, and that's go Kings go. Game six tomorrow. I will be live again. We got two game sixes tomorrow. We have not had a game seven in these playoffs, so I need you guys to comment which series is the most likely to go seven because we need a goddamn game seven already. And I predicted... I did see say season six, so I'm wrong on that. And I knew after game one I was going to be wrong on that, to be honest. But actually, no, I knew after game three I was going to be wrong on that. But we'll see. The Celtics, I feel bad for you Celtics fans, man. This was such a great chance to win a championship, and they may have blown it tonight. But let me know what you think. I could be wrong. I'm looking forward to it. Peace out. Have a great night. Make sure to comment on this video. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you'd like. I don't even think you can review on Spotify. And Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar a dime. Now we go to the live subscribers waiting oh so patiently in the chat almost midnight on this Wednesday night in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining me. Peace.